welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Baseball Buds podcast. You get both of us today. Richard is back. Thankfully, you don't have to listen to just my voice all episode. And we get to it's listen not to that bad. Eh, hey, you know, it uh, it gets to you a little bit. But we get to do your bold predictions. We have three of them for you. You know, we did mine last week and then we get to talk a little bit about what's kind of been going on in baseball for 2 weeks. So I'm very excited for that because a lot has changed. So Richie, what's going on? Oh, you know, just living the dad life. Um, things are good, though. I missed uh, a podcast with you last week. Um, a lot has happened in opening day. A lot of overreactions. I'm trying to cool my tempers and not spike drop Alejandro Kirk at catcher and um, worry about my pitchers with Corbin Burns. But other than that, things have been good. The weather's getting nicer. Can't complain. Well, let's kind of jump right into that. We'll kind of shift around a little bit with what we wanted to do. You know, Kirk struggled. We've seen a lot of different baseball than I think we expected and I think a lot of different baseball than what the industry at least with fantasy expected so you know I kind of touched last week on some of the things that I noticed was going on around the league uh kind of the way that I'm now structuring my teams what are some things that you've noticed after two weeks you know regards to how the game is being played how players are affected by that how they're either being benefited or you know negatively incurring lower production and how do you think those things are going to relate to fantasy as the season moves forward? Yeah, I love the the speed and the pitch clock and everything that's happening around baseball. It's interesting, guys like Carlos Carrasco coming out and saying, you know, he's felt fatigued with the pitch clock and he doesn't have enough time to rest. And it's showing in his numbers and he is struggling and somebody I would immediately drop or try to trade if anybody's still biting on that. Carlos Carrasco could be a anything like his former self but I think it's good for baseball I'm excited to actually go to a game and watch it and see the action Um, I was just thinking about this in my head you know we've got all these other sports that have a play clock to get the game going you know there's the 24 seconds in the shot clock 30 seconds for football but baseball didn't have one until now so I think it's good overall for the game Um, stolen bases the Orioles caught me by surprise. I was not expecting them to be the team to run the most. I don't know why I was thinking the Diamondbacks just because of Corbin Carroll, but I thought they would be um, up there. Uh, just a quick, those are the main takeaways I, I thought with opening week. What were some of your thoughts, Matt? I, I didn't get a chance to listen to last week's podcast. Yeah. So, I mean, I said the same thing, right? Like I thought speed is awesome. I think, I think really what we're going to see this year in impact in fantasy is the contact hitter. You know, you look at Luis Arias tonight, hit for the cycle. We're two weeks in. Like, with the shift, does Arias still hit for the cycle? I didn't I didn't watch all four of his hits. There's a, there's a clip on uh, Instagram right now that I think MLB posted of each one of his hits tonight. But it's like, that's great. That's great for the game that a player like him is back to being, like, what I would consider an elite-level player for Miami. Like, we have a guy that can probably hit 350 this year with the shift being, you know, banned. And that might be a little bit bold, but like he's at least a 320 hitter after what he's done the last couple of years. And I just I like seeing the incentivization for these players that are more contact driven. And then you talked a little bit about the Orioles and you can then look at kind of the Rays and the Brewers like those are contact teams. They're teams that have drafted guys with speed, defensive mindedness and contact first over power. And you're seeing the records for at least the Rays and the Brewers you know, top of the league, because what are they doing right? Well, they're playing baseball, right? They're getting on base, they're stealing, they're scoring runs, you know, they're hitting timely hits. 
all of those things are what baseball originally was. And we had over the last three, four years, just this approach that's like, okay, like take a walk. So the guy behind you can hopefully hit a home run. You know, it's like, okay, now it's okay to hit 330 because there's the shift. And like, as long as you hit 30 home runs, like you're still a useful player. I think we're really going to get back to the basis of baseball. And I think ultimately it's going to kind of make things difficult for the players that are just the power hitter, because now you're no longer using those five tools, which we're going to really start to provide benefit in this league. You know, you're really just going to be a one dimensional player. So it'll be interesting to watch. Um, you talked a little bit about Kirk. I haven't really paid attention to Kirk this season yet with him being on the Blue Jays. I know that there's playing time concerns with Jansen, but Kirk's one of those guys where it concerns me because it's like, I don't think he has a lot of speed, right? And like, we're, no, we're, he is not. Yeah, we're emphasizing and defense, and it's like, how many hits is he going to get taken away for the simple fact that he's slow as shit? <laughs> well, and if you remember from our bus podcast, he was the one catcher that I had on my bus list because of everything going on with speed and everything. So, um, but I'm trying to temper expectations though because it is still April; it's cold everywhere. It is starting to warm up though, but. We're only a week and a half in, two weeks in by the time you're listening to this. If somebody goes on a cold stretch in a two-week span over July or August and they go hitless for five days, we wouldn't blink an eye. But if they do it in April, you're, you're cut. You're yeah. fucking done. We don't want anything to do with you. So I'm trying to not be a hothead this early with waiver wires and trades. And I've even told you that off the air. Like I'm just trying to you know, wait it out a little bit and see what happens because I'm always so quick with the trigger that I make deals that I uh, later regret, like dropping Logan Gilbert. Well, and I'm going to toss a couple names out here too because, you know, this this is a thought I had today with Vinny P. Vinny Pasquantino finally broke out of his little you know early season slump. And those of you that own Vinny P and those of you that are really big baseball fans know Vinny did not have a good bit world baseball classic either. He kind of ran into like this cold stretch at the worst possible time for Team Italy and he dragged it on into the regular season today. Three doubles had a you know fly out at the end of the game that I don't think had any chance of getting out. But it's like, OK, he's, he's getting close to barreling the ball again and he is putting loft on it like that's a good sign. But these are some of the names that we're seeing struggling right off the bat. Javi Baez through 10 games is batting one, one, one. Yikes. Seven strikeouts. You know, that's not terrible, but he's cold. Gunnar Henderson batting 129 with 16 strikeouts in nine games. Anthony Volpe, 11 games, 12 strikeouts, 129. Now, Henderson and Volpe are rookies, so there's also that like little asterisk because they're going to struggle. You know, this is something that we've talked about, like not to expect the young kids to be superstars right away. MJ Melendez batting 162. Cedric Mullins, with all of the good attributes he's had this season, still batting 163. You know, eight strikeouts. He does have two home runs and five stolen bases, but he's cold too. Um, Jose Miranda batting 182, Anthony Santander batting 186, Bobby Witt batting 186, Bregman batting 188. Uh, that's just kind of the list I have pulled up top 25 names that are in the lower portion of the uh, batting average attribute, but it's early. I think what you said is perfect. June, July, a couple weeks, you know, it sucks for your fantasy team, but like that's to be expected. Right now, there's just an emphasis on production and I do think people are quickly clamoring to the waiver wire to fill some of these holes and temper expectations, you know, try to find production where you can. Now, if they're still struggling come May, that's a different story because now you're coming up on a full month, but give it a couple weeks. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the biggest, it's it's April 11th. It's Tuesday, April 11th, you know, like, and this, we'll get to this in a little bit with our prospects that are on the rise. But like, if you would have told me 
Tuesday, April 11th, Taj Bradley was going to be a major leaguer. I'd have been like, damn, that's basically the full season you're getting out of him, you know? Mm -hmm. And we kind of joked in our text threads yesterday, like, well, you know, now he's an extra $5. And it's like, but you get him for a full year. So like, so it's it's hard after two weeks not to just be fully engrossed in the baseball world, Um, you know, but it's, it's been two weeks. So Richie, let's do, uh, let's do your bold prediction. So you've got three for us. I'm excited to hear what you got. Kind of break it down for us. Yeah, and I wish I would have got this out before the season started because I believe this one for the AL. Um, I do think that Jordan Walker or Corbin Carroll will win NL Rookie of the Year. I think that's pretty much locked up. But for AL, I think Anthony Volpe and Gunnar Henderson were the favorites. Not only do I not think either of them are going to win it, I am going to go and say Tyler Sorderstrom of the Oakland Athletics is going to win AL Rookie of the Year. He's not even in the top 10, 15 of Vegas odds to win Rookie of the Year. He's not even in the majors right now, but he is a top prospect. He's 21 years old. He's batting 294 already in eight games. He's got two home runs. Um, I mean, the kid's a stud. I, I don't think the athletics can hold him back. I, I think he comes up sooner rather than later. I would predict him to come up by May, and I think he just mashes as soon as he gets up and i think he's the real deal i think he's the next superstar i think he's a rookie of the year my second one is three prospect catchers will finish within the top 10 at the position the first being logan ohapi he's off to a great start great pickup by you matt the second being andy rodriguez of the pittsburgh pirates he mashed in the minors at triple a last year don't think there's much in his way at pittsburgh and then lastly is Tyler Soderstrom, who I believe to be AL Rookie of the Year. I think all three of them are up, produce, and will finish within top 10. And then the last bold prediction I have is that three Tampa Bay Rays will finish with at least one Cy Young vote. Those three being Shane McClanahan, Jeffrey Springs, and Drew Rasmussen. And I'll go maybe a fourth bold prediction, but kind of lumps into it. I think Jeffrey Springs wins AL Cy, Cy Young, and that may be a little bit too late because he's off to such a great start and I you know I've been hyping up Jeffrey Springs since last year Matt you know how high I am on this kid I think he's a real deal I think he's gonna bump up his innings and I think he's gonna get it done those are my three bold predictions four if you want to call him Jeffrey Springs yeah I mean I I think I think Springs is bold and I I don't think you're far off um you know I, I think most of those you probably would have believed in at least enough to shoot out before the season um it's funny i was at work with with a, co- a co-worker who used to play college baseball and he does a lot of gambling especially on, on baseball games and parlays and whatnot and we were talking probably about a week and a half ago now before springs first game and we were going over the games and he's like yeah well springs is on the mound like i don't like that so much and i said don't think that springs is tampa's best pitcher and he's like absolutely not shane mcclanahan i said no it's not like <laughs> shane's good there's injury risk and there's still the fact that he's a young pitcher where we haven't seen, you know, repeat production over and over and over. He's a good pitcher. But I was like, Springs is that is their team's best pitcher. And I, I know that's bold going into the season, but the, I believed it too because what we've seen now, and you saw it first, was a completely shift in how his profile was, how his pitch mix was, his overall production. And at age 30, he's really putting it all together. So I do think Springs absolutely has a chance at Cy Young and – from what the Rays have done so far, they've beat up on some bad teams. I get that. But they are perfect at managing their starters. 
I think even if they play, you know, the Yankees and the Blue Jays, like he may just go five, five and two thirds, right? Vladdy might be up to the last batter of the sixth inning. Okay, we're going to take Springs out just for the simple fact that we're not going to risk, you know, lefty on righty. And I believe the Rays do that. Same thing with Rasmussen, right? Like they've been unwilling for a year and a half now with Rasmussen to really push him deep into games. Well, we're seeing here now six, seven innings, like he's really out there to produce. Absolutely love what those two have done. And Shane O'Mac is still a, a top 15 pitcher. You know, I'm not crazy enough. Yeah, to oh think yeah, that. Well, the thing is when we were watching, I know we were both watching at the same time, what, that first outing when Jeffrey Springs no hit for six innings and had 12 strikeouts. I knew his command was elite. I knew his changeup was elite. But I didn't know about his fastball because it sits around 93, 92, 94, that range. But the announcers were saying that it's so deceptive and the extension he gets with that pitch is that it makes it look like it's coming at you at 96, 97, or 98. And that's throwing hitters off. And it's just crazy. Like when you put in all those factors, like, yeah, we look at velocity of a pitch, but all these other factors definitely play a role. Like, yeah, Shane O'Mac can throw 99, 100, but Jeffrey Springs throws seven miles less. And it almost looks like it's the same pitch coming right at you. And those are things that I forget about when we're evaluating pitchers and not so much that you see because we're looking at statistics on paper. And that's just something um, to think about or keep in the back of your head, I guess, is what I'm going for. Yeah, and to uh, quickly interject here, we have yet another Jacob deGrom lost opportunity to win. The Texas Rangers bullpen has blown it. Uh, looks like these problems has have followed him to Texas. Um, <laughs> that's very disappointing. But, uh, yeah, kind of to piggyback on what you were saying there, Springs reminds me a lot of what we saw from Eric Lauer last year when he had his hot streak. The difference is one, two miles an hour. Because Lauer, when he was pitching dominant for the Brewers, he was sitting 94 to 96. If you watched his last start uh, this season and a lot of his starts in the second half last year, he was back to 91, 92, 93. And he just wasn't it wasn't fast enough. I don't think he's also as tall as Springs. We'd have to look into that. But that kind of goes back to the extension you were talking about. But I also remember the Milwaukee telecast talking about, you know, Lauer's deception and the ball kind of jumping on the hitters. But as soon as he lost one or two miles an hour, he, he became hittable again. And it's very, very important for Springs to maintain this velocity. That's something I think both of us will be watching all season. Because we do now, at least I have him projected for at least 100 innings or 180 innings, excuse me. You know, like that's the expectation with his dominance so far. And like as we get closer to that 180 mark, like are they careful with him? Does he lose velocity? Like all these all these things go into the same you know bag of tricks that we had questions for with Rodon on his breakout season. Right. Like we need to see you be able to do a full season of it. And um, I think if we get that out of Springs, we're going to we're going to see a very, very special performance for Tampa. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Richard, moving on here. We have a couple fun names that have gotten their major league call. Taj Bradley for those Tampa Bay Rays. Yikes, if they already have three Cy Young contenders, just add Taj Bradley's name to that list of dominance. And then we have um, Edouard Julian. Did I say that right? Is it Edouard? Yeah, you said yeah, it right. Edward, Ed, Edouard Julian. So let's talk about Taj a little bit first. Um, you know, he's been a guy that you and I have followed for at least two years now good friend of ours in our league has him um, rostered and now has the benefit of getting what may be a full season of Bradley. If he can capitalize while Eflin's out, what do you think uh, projections for Bradley are at least over the first couple starts and then pushing on into the season? Yeah, realistically. Well, first I have him in categories league. 
right away just because I can't get enough of them. I would advise you <laughs> do the same, Matt. Already done. Um, <laughs> my concern is that it's going to be a short stint because it sounds like Zach Eflin is only going to go on the 15-day IL as precautionary. So it looks like he's going to miss two, maybe three turns. So Taj Bradley has three turns at max to prove his worth. The thing is, is he's not fully built up. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but I think his last outing, he only went 45 or 55 pitches. So he's not entirely built up yet. So I expect him maybe only to go three, four innings max in his first outing. And that also worries me a little bit that he's not fully built up and he's going to go the extra mile. Like it's your first start in the majors. You're, you're going to tell me you're not going to give it everything you got. Like he's going to go out and I'm, just a little concerned. I wouldn't start him right away, but if he goes out and gives you three innings um, with four to five strikeouts and maybe one earned run, I think that's reasonable and definitely within the possibility of what he can produce. Anything better than that, I'll be ecstatic about, but that's what I'm expecting his first turn. Yeah, I'm expecting about the same. Um, I, I kind of projected about four innings, and you know, I, I think – Probably second turn through the rotation. If you can get that before Eflin comes back, that might be reasonable. But I think your projection is right on with three innings, three, four innings, you know, to kick it off. And my hope is that he comes out and he just sends it, you know, three innings, maybe a run, maybe a walk. Like you said, four or five strikeouts, gets his second turn, pitches maybe four, five innings if he's efficient, goes out there, gives his team an opportunity to win. And they look at this from a perspective of, okay, well, Zach Eflin, we signed him to a big money deal, but realistically, you know, now you're sliding down to five, and maybe we're putting Fleming back in that role of the long reliever, which I think he's perfect at anyways. So this gives Tampa an opportunity here to really kind of shift the back end of the rotation and I think really extend the longevity of a lot of these players this season. And we also have to just remember what Tampa has done with all of their pitching prospects, from Shane McClanahan to Springs himself, as well as Rasmussen, which is in their, couple, in their early couple of years, they're very, very careful, right? Five innings for Rasmussen two years ago. Last year, he was lucky to get six. Same thing for Springs, right? Like, they work you into that role. So I don't think Taj Bradley will be any different. I just think, especially in categories, what you're going after is those ratios. And I think Taj can provide that for you. In points leagues, it makes it a little harder. I think he's only a guy that you're starting if you're if you're thin that week. Um, or if you're in a daily league where, you know, you, you, can, you can mix and match. But definitely excited for Taj Bradley. And then we had uh, have Edward Julian for the Twins. Had an absolutely incredible World Baseball Classic. Uh, he led, I think, the World Baseball Classic in OPS, as well as having five home runs combined between the World Baseball Classic and spring training. Julian is turning 24 at the end of April. So, you know, when we talk about prospects, he is a little bit older. If you look at his profile, though, he is a hitter first, much like Jose Miranda was. He's had similar success to Miranda, has a little bit of speed as well. And he's a second baseman. So we know the black hole that has been second base this year. I think if you have a bench spot, you are weak at second. He's a name that you might want to pick up just with the hopes that he fills a hitting role right away. The question for Julian, though, and this will be a question all season once Polanco comes back, is how much playing time will he really get? So, Richie, what are you thinking about Julian? And um, what are your projections for him as we go through 2023? Yeah, I'm not as bullish as you are. Um, I think... This may be a short-lived stay because it is coming off of Joe, Joey Gallo hitting the IL. Once Jorge Polanco comes back, Joey Gallo's back. 
I'm not sure if he'll stick unless he comes off to a blistering start. And then maybe he plays some DH, they cycle him through an outfield, but or maybe he splits time with Polanco in between. But we'll see. Yeah, and and this is one of the hard things, you know, we have to try and project from the second base per position, you know, who throughout this season can possibly provide you upside. And that's a challenge at times, right? If you look at Brandon Brand Lau, he's come off to a very hot start, four home runs. Uh, that definitely would have been provided value at the end of drafts. I, I think we could have kind of been bullish on him or a little more bullish. Um, but the truth is drafts over. Waiver wire for the most part after two weeks is pretty bare in most most leagues. So I think Julian could be a guy that you're just you're stashing. He's been a guy I've been pretty bullish on now for over a year. Um, I was lucky enough to pick him up two days ago. Because... Oh, yeah, definitely. If you're in Dynasty League, hold yeah. on to him for sure because I think long-term he's going to be a great asset, absolutely, especially after him coming out in the World Baseball Classic. I think that was him telling the fantasy world he's ready to contribute for sure. Well, and the last thing I'll say about Julian, we need to be remindful. Like, Jose Miranda had a very similar hot stretch in the minor leagues, and Miranda just hasn't been what we wanted him to be. And there was a lot of projections and scouts that were good that said this was going to happen. So I think Julian is very different than Miranda. I think we could have seen kind of the holes that Miranda showcased. I think Julian is more of an all-around hitter, has a better approach. So be mindful with that. But also, I would not be surprised if this loses Miranda playing time. So again, in Dynasty Leagues, if you, you, know, you roster both of them like I do, you kind of might be screwed out of both players because they're taking from each other. Um, but those are the two names that have come up this week. You know, I think next week, hopefully, we'll have some bigger names. Like, we are just waiting for the Tyler Soderstrom uh, promotion. Like, you talked about that. I, I think that's going to be any week now, probably after the Super 2 date because it is the Oakland A's, and they run a team like an absolute, you know, farm. So um, let's move on. we got some injuries to talk about, Richie. You know, first and foremost being O'Neal Cruz breaking that leg slash ankle. Devastating for the game. Devastating for Dynasty and Fantasy Managers with the nice start that he was having, batting over 280, had three stolen bases, showed the power. Just an awkward slide, really unfortunate for the game. Um, what are your thoughts on Cruz? Are you holding on to him in redrafts leagues? Are you, are you dropping him? What are your thoughts? Well, if you have the IL spots, you definitely got to hold on to him. I was a little surprised that he's going to be out for four months with that broken ankle. I thought that was a little extensive, but maybe it was a really bad fracture. I'm not sure the severity of it but yeah i definitely think you gotta hold on to him four months from now you're looking at august so if you can find a replacement he can come back and provide for you in the playoffs assuming all goes well so i would definitely hold on to him for sure keeper league you have to hold on to him no way you can get rid of him there unless matt you want to trade him and re-vent him all years <laughs> all right well yeah o'neill crew's gone really unfortunate um i think in redraft leagues i'm probably letting him go I just think at the end of the day, he's projected to come back maybe end of August, early September. I, I think, you know, with rehab assignments, the way the Pirates are probably going to be trending in that direction at that time, he may just be useless. Um, it's going to take him time to get back into game shape, and it's going to take time for him to get his timing down. I really just am disappointed that a 2023 season that we expected for a massive breakout for him is almost a complete loss. Just such a stupid injury. But we have more injuries. Uh, Inglesias yet again has not come off the IL. Um, Braves having some issues. Minter did blow a save. What do you think of Rasul Iglesias now moving forward? Because the original expectation was he's going to spend 10 days on the IL. He's going to be back. No problem. Here we are two weeks later, and he's only throwing off flat ground. 
Yeah, they lied to us. I feel <laughs> salty. No, I. All jokes aside, it is upsetting. I have no shares of Rysel Iglesias, even though you and I both were hyping him up. We had him in our, I think, top five, top six, when everybody had them had him pegged for top twelve. So before the injury, I think you and I were trying to get every bit of them. But luckily, all our drafts happened like literally the week before opening day. So the injury occurred. So we didn't end up with him. Um, yeah, I don't know what to make of it. I don't expect him until the middle of May. Um, if he's just starting to throw out ground, flat ground, and they're taking it slow with him, that has me a little concerned. Um, I'm worried that it's something more than just right shoulder inflammation and there may be a tear or something. And us, you and me, having shoulder injuries, we know it's no joke. It takes away from everything. So, yeah, it's sad. Well, and that just leads me into the next big injury that we got news of today, which is Brandon Woodruff uh, shoulder inflammation. To your point, you know, we both have incurred shoulder injuries. I now understand the severity and how it affects, you know, the lat and the bicep and the forearm and everything else. And, like, this just sucks for Woodruff. Last year, it was, you know, the the hand that, you know, he had nerve issues with. Now it's shoulder inflammation. You know, are we starting to see something that's going to run into his contract year here where Brandon Woodruff just every year has something? How concerned are you with this Brandon Woodruff 15-day IL? I'm more so concerned with it being related to his previous injury. What was that last year, two years ago, where he was out for a while? I'm trying to think of what it was. It was, the same I can't think it was a similar injury to what Strasburg had, but they had said it was not nearly as severe. It's where they have yeah. to remove the rib because there's, you know, Matt Harvey had it as well. Yeah, it wasn't um, thoracic outlet. It was. <sighs> that's what they originally diagnosed him with, but then they, they pulled that back. They were like, no, 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 it's not see if that. I can look it up. Well, you know, while you're looking that up, I'm just going to touch on a couple of the other injuries. Uh, we don't need to go into too much detail on them. Duvall, the big-time pickup for the first week for the Red Sox, fractured his wrist in great fashion, as all great waiver wire pickups do. Uh, Injured, probably going to be out six to eight weeks, not having surgery, so that is kind of nice, but I think at this point you can probably let him walk back to the wire. Corey Seager did leave tonight's game. I don't have an injury designation for you. I just saw him leaving on big inning, so hopefully it's nothing serious, but he hasn't started the year the way we had hoped he would. Zach Eflin, we talked a little bit about, bit about earlier, out of the rotation for the Rays for 15 days, uh, opening the door for Taj Bradley. Uh, Glaber Torres, hip flexor, that is to be determined. Moncada, back to be determined. So a couple injuries around the league, but nothing as severe as the last podcast that we had where we talked about Verlander and all of the rash of injuries that occurred either before the season or during the first week. What do we got on Brandon Woodruff? Do we have a diagnosis from last season? So everything I'm looking up is showing up with his most current yeah. um, shoulder injury. So it's throwing it off a little bit here. Uh, well, keep looking. I'm going to I'm gonna touch on relievers a little bit here uh, right before we jump into our last segment. So we have a little – I'm going to start it off by saying reliever, reliever garbage can because we don't have a great name for this segment yet, which we will probably be doing all season long since relievers are so volatile couple names right off the bat to throw at you that have not had early season success. Ryan Presley for the Houston Astros lost the game today. It wasn't a save opportunity, but he did give up the run for the loss. I think at this point when you have a Brayu, you also have a few other arms in that bullpen like Montero. It's only a matter of time. I kind of talked last week that I think his job has been in jeopardy, is in jeopardy. I expect him to lose that job. Again, always in injury ridden with that knee. 
Second name on our list, Craig Kimbrell, just absolutely getting rocked to start the season. You know, he had an opportunity to become the closer and solidify himself with Sir Anthony Dominguez also being in that bullpen and having a shot. But Kimbrell has just been outright bad so far. And it is interesting to notate he has been put in positions where he's not saving games. And if you look at his career, especially dating back to his time with the White Sox, he was dominant as a closer. And as soon as you moved him into seventh or eighth inning work, he just fell apart. So it'll be interesting to monitor if the Phillies just decide to put him in that closer's role to make him more comfortable or if this is something that's going to plague him all season, no matter the role. Last uh, name I have for you is A.J. Minter, who is essentially filling the role for Inglesias as Inglesias is out on the I.L. Um, A.J. Minter was supposed to be, at least from my perspective, a lockdown holds guy this season with the opportunity to pick up some saves early in the year. I thought there was a good chance that even though Inglesias came back, Minter might have been doing so good that you know Inglesias would have to kind of fight for that role again. But Minter has not been perfect. I think there's definitely opportunity once Inglesias comes back to just have that job back and Minter to slide back into more of a saves and holds opportunity. Those are the three names we have for you now. Next week, we will continue this process. It was Raynaud's syndrome back in June 10th of 2022. The diagnosis of a condition that is limiting the blood flow to the index and middle and ring fingers on his right hand, which was causing numbness. So not quite the thoracic outlet, but I think it is a precursor to that yeah. injury, if I'm not mistaken. There was some kind of tie that you're right. And like we've seen it. It, it ends careers. Like if, as soon as you get thoracic. It's not like Tommy John where they've figured this out yet. Matt Harvey's career was over after it. His dominance gone. Steven Strasburg still has yet to come back successfully from this. Um, really, really hope this isn't something that plagues Woodruff, but, you know, it's, it's something to monitor. And uh, I don't know, Richie. I guess the last question I have for you with the injuries is, if you have Woodruff, Woodruff right now with what we just talked about, are you moving him, even if he can come back and pitch healthy, knowing that, like, this may be a ticking time bomb? I don't think you can move him now. It's kind of like what I've been dealing with with Corbin Burns. You just kind of have to hold because Corbin Burns shit the bed the first two weeks. His velocity was down, but his spin rates were up. So maybe there's just a tweak in what he was doing. I think with Woodruff, if you were to sell him, you'd be selling him with pennies on the dollar. Nobody's going to pay full cost. I think you have to wait for him to come back, have two to three good outings, make it look like he's legit. And maybe you can get somebody who doesn't do enough research. All they do is click on this player profile and they look at the last few games and see they're great. And you can sell them for what he's really worth. That's what I'd be hoping to do. Great shout out. He was calling you out there, bud. Um, all right. Love that. Let's move on to our final segment because I agree with you. I think you, know, you can't, sell, can't sell low on Woodruff, especially for what people are paying for him. Um, prospects on the rise. And we have our number one contender, who is always on this list. My boy, every year. <laughs> Richie, <laughs> what is going on with this kid? He dominates AAA, and that is Mr. Joe Adele, but just can't put it together in the major leagues. Yeah, you know, if there was a quad A, he'd be the all-star for that <laughs> league, for sure. <laughs> no, um, all things, all jokes aside, was he at seven home seven. runs? Is he at eight yeah, now? Seven, seven home yeah. runs. I think they were all back-to-back, -back, like, uh, days, I should say, like, seven days in a row he had home run. Is that correct? Uh, I could be wrong. I did I, – before the podcast, let me back up. I said all of them were off fastballs. One of them was off a curveball, mat, So he Ooh. did hit a breaking ball for a home run, and it was a – I will give it this. It was a curveball that hung right down the middle. So um, he did mash it for a home run, but 
Maybe maybe he's starting to learn how to hit some well, listen, off-speed pitches. Jerry Kelnick is three for four so far in this Cubs series. Um, and I don't know if you know this. He's changed his batting stance. I know we're talking about Joe Adele here, but I'm bringing Kelnick up because they are very similar profiles here, right? Top-end prospects came up, just couldn't hit, couldn't hit breaking balls. And Kelnick has completely changed his swing from what I've seen, and it's working for him. He's able to make more contact, and he's able to kind of, you know, be more aggressive on pitches that he likes. I'm really interested to see if Joe Adele is willing to do the same because when I saw his highlights so far this like this spring or this you know AAA season, still the same batting stance, and I'm just kind of surprised that the Angels haven't tweaked anything with him yet. You know, like maybe helped him hit off-speed pitches more. Maybe it's a matter of his mechanics and like you can't be this good at AAA at his age and just not be able to figure it out. So. This might just be a shitty organization. You know, I, I, I think <laughs> I think Joe Adele needs to be traded, and I think this might be the perfect time. Continue to let him be hot over this month. And if you're the Angels, ship him out for a, a reliever because we know how bad that bullpen is, and that team's doing pretty well. So, yeah, Joe Adele. The th- I don't think in redraft leagues he's worth the pickup. There's nowhere for him to play with them getting Hunter Renfro, Taylor Ward, and Mike Trout, obviously, there. With Mike Trout, though, he's always injured, so – Maybe he gets a chance then, but I don't know. I don't know. I, Do I want to go down this road one more time? Well, and th- this <laughs> is my thing I'm in, in Dynasty because I've thought about it too, and it's like, to me, you said it perfectly, there's no playing time available. Even with an injury, do they bring him up and play the same game that they have the last few years with him where it's like, okay, here's your opportunity, and then like, all right, the Trout's back. You're back in the tr- like minor leagues. I don't think he has value even in Dynasty until he's traded. I think as soon as he's traded, he becomes like that golden jewel on the waiver wire of like possibility. But the problem is like, do they even trade him? You know, do they do they still value him as an elite level talent? And are they asking? Well, too they much? traded Brandon Marsh, you know, and they were pretty high on him. So well, and they traded Marsh I could see for them nothing, doing. right? Like, well, they got no, they got Logan Ohapi out of it. Is that what? The or was deal that the was? Noah? Or was that the Noah Syndergaard deal? Yeah, Either I, way, they got Logan. Uh, let's look this up real quick because to, Logan Ohapi was such a high-end prospect for the Phillies as well. I, w- I don't know that it was the Brandon Marsh trade, but we are going to have to figure this out because um, I don't think it was Marsh. So go ahead and look that up for me, Richie. I will, I'm looking uh, up the Marsh one. I will continue to break down some of these other yeah. prospects. Uh, J.J. Blade, three home runs so far. Blade obviously little bit older was drafted by miami from vanderbilt just hasn't seemed to pan out kind of disappointing so far nolan jones for the, the colorado rockies there was word that he may make the opening day roster did not so far has six home runs in the minor leagues does have an average over 350 jones has been a guy that was perennial perennially at the bottom of the top 100 but always someone to keep an eye on for the indians was always a hitty uh, hit tool player first with power so could be interesting with the Rockies, definitely in deeper leagues, dynasty leagues, if he's floating on the waiver wire because people have just gotten tired of him, like might be worth a look. Um, and then Ronnie Mauricio continues his hot, torrid spring. Four home runs, 361. Again, shortstop position. Is there playing time there in New York? Can he transition to the outfield? A lot of question marks with Ronnie Mauricio, but a guy to continue to monitor this season. I think he might be a guy to pick up later in the year or to target uh, early in dynasty leagues. But again, you have to be mindful. I think he has a lot of holes in that swing. So at the major league level, you're looking at possibly a 220 hitter until he can really figure it out. 
Um, what do we got on the trade situation, Richard? Yeah, the Brandon Marsh one was for Logan O'Hoppy. Wow. Um, it was Mickey Moniak for Noah Syndergaard. Okay. Well, I actually... Who was also a normal overall pick. Yeah. So they did two... Apparently, Syndergaard was supposed to be part of the Brandon Marsh trade, and it fell through. But either way, they ended up with Noah Syndergaard and Brandon Marsh. They just had to do two separate trades. So Mickey Moniak and Logan O'Hoppy, essentially, for Noah Syndergaard and Brandon Marsh. Combine the tune, that's what you get. Yeah. I don't know if there was other pieces, but those were the main headlines of the trade. Well, that makes a little more sense if they had a relationship and a gentleman's agreement in place. Um, I mean, Marsh for O'Hoppy, I think the Angels at this point have taken the betterment of that. But again, with JT Real Muto being, you know, the face of that catcher position for the Phillies, like, you know, you're kind of going to just have O'Hoppy waste away in the minor leagues. And with his numbers last season, definitely need playing time. I, I think that was a good deal for both clubs. And Marsh had a pretty good postseason. As I think he's a, a fantastic fourth outfielder. You know, he's a serviceable third outfielder and a bad outfield. Uh, last name on the prospect list, Richie. It is your guy. So I'm going to let you take the throne here. That's Jackson Churio. Two home runs so far in the minor leagues. Double A. You know, we like that. We saw his first home run today hitting MLB Pipeline. I didn't see his second one, so I'm just guessing he hit two home runs tonight. Um, how excited are you that he is producing right off the bat at Triple A? Excuse me, Double A. Um, I am excited. I want him to cool off a little bit so I don't have to spend $5 on him next year. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm being, if I'm being selfish, um, I don't think the Brewers will bring him up this year. Anyways, I, I do think he can reach triple A. I'm not going to lie. I was a little nervous, um, about how he would produce because when he did get moved to double A last year, he struggled. And I was curious how he would respond with this aggressive assignment. I thought realistically he was going to get sent to high A to start the year because he got sent to double a i think he was dealing with a shoulder inflammation so he missed out on playing time they sent him to double a because that team was headed for the playoffs and so that's they sent him there essentially just to get extra seasoning even though he wasn't ready so i was curious how he would do and so far i'm very pleased that he's living up to the hype and now with corbin carroll graduating from baseball america he is now the number one prospect for them so that's exciting. It's been a while since I've had the number one prospect on my dynasty team. Well, I'll tell you this. He's going to come up September 29th just to stick it to you, give you that $5 incurred cost. Um, <laughs> just like Francisco Alvarez. That's right. That's right. Just enough to make dynasty owners cringe a little bit. Uh, yeah, love, love what he's done so far. I'm, I'm going to look for that second home run, uh, see if I can get a little clip on that, see if I can you know evaluate the swing a little bit. Love the first one. Took it to right field. Great approach. Um, Jackson Trio is definitely the name we're going to be monitoring all season because you roster him. You know, we love him. Last two names. I do have two more. Uh, Spencer Jones, three home runs. He's nine for 18. I think a promotion is due. Um, you know, you call him Aaron Judge Little Jr., right? He's six <laughs> six, so he's tall, Vanderbilt um, talent. Guy I also want to monitor this season. I'm concerned, as I am with anyone a little bit taller, you know, holes in the swing. And, again, he's beating up on, I think, competition that he's outgrown at this point. Do you have anything to add on Spencer Jones? No, he should be in double A, I think. And um, he's got four strikeouts at two walks in four games, a very small sample size. Just like in last year, he had 20 strikeouts in 25 games to 11 walks. So not terrible, but almost averaging a strikeout per game, which isn't the greatest. So, yeah, definitely something to monitor. Just take a look at his hit tool. Gets a 50 grade on MLB pipeline. So not terrible. We'll see. 
I mean, listen, it's a better start than J.J. Bladé had to his pro career. Yes, yes, yes it is. Was so bad. Uh, last name, Matthew Libertor, guy that we have followed for what feels like four years, um, at least three years. 14 Ks in 10 innings. He did make a brief major league appearance last year with the Cardinals. Wasn't great. Obviously, was sent back down for more conditioning as well as more development. Uh, is this a name that you think could provide value in redraft leagues for guys as he kind of creeps towards our, you know, our perfect 26, 27 age range? Yes, I do like Matthew Libertor. I actually, um, was it rates and barrels? I don't probably rates and barrels, uh, mentioned something. He did something with his arsenal or switched his delivery or something and altered something that to completely unlock him this year so i was upset when i checked in our dynasty league and he was already rostered so that was upsetting to me i think whatever he's doing he's on the the fast path to be in the cardinals rotation they are bad. lacking depth they're, <laughs> they're lacking bad. depth you can't who is it uh jason woodruff or yeah. woodward or yeah, something like i can't that, even yeah. turn i don't even know who their fourth or fifth starter is so they're hurting and could use him sooner rather than later for sure well, and their best pitcher walks about 15 batters a game, um, but finds a way not to give up runs. Miles, so, yeah, so. Miles Michaelis, Adam Wainwright is hurting. Yeah. Jack Flaherty, like, yeah. there's nobody that sticks out as like, yeah, this is our clear cut ace. Well, I'm telling you, I watched Flaherty's last start. You know, we all know I'm over the moon for Flaherty. Um, he looked good. He's just nibbling. He's nibbling, and and I didn't watch his first start where he had seven walks, but what I took from the game was you can just find a little more confidence to be a little more aggressive at certain times he could be back to form but he's just being very careful and he's he's not getting certain calls he's obviously producing a lot of walks but it really doesn't matter because there's opportunity throughout this rotation like the cardinals have great bats they have horrendous pitchers at this point and they need libertor to come up and just provide like a starter three upside you know like Steven Matz is in this rotation. Like, how many times do we need to, like, talk about Steven Matz being just an average, below-average pitcher? Like, I believe Libertor by August could be easily far more valuable than a guy like Steven Matz, and the Cardinals need him. So uh, that kind of wraps us for today, Richie. Is there anything else you wanted to toss in before we say goodbye to the listeners? No, I think you hit everything on the head. Love that. So we will catch you again next Wednesday. Um, hopefully we have some more news, some updates. You know, maybe Jackson Cheerio will hit four more home runs. We know Joe Adele will definitely hit seven more home runs. So look for us next week, and we will catch you guys later.